God, thank you for this morning, for this Lord's Day. We celebrate our Lord's resurrection. Lord, in this epiphany season, we do ask that you would continue to shed your light upon us, that you would drive out the darkness uh, in our minds and our hearts, uh, that you might fill us with your light so that we living in this dark world might be salt and light in others' uh, midst. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, that they would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, good morning, Christ Church. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, again, my name's Father Sean. I, I'm currently serving as the assistant to Father Mark Scotton, whom some of you may know from the St. Barnabas days. Uh, we both are uh, currently positioned at Church of the Transfiguration, where Father Mark is the rector. Uh, it's in downtown Cleveland on the Near East Side on MLK. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, we are in the midst of celebrating the Epiphany season. It's the season following Christmas where we celebrate God's light shining forth into our lives. Uh, and it's where we encounter God, especially as we turn our eyes upon Jesus Christ. So as the light uh, in our days is increasing as we move away from winter and towards spring, thanks be to God. Uh, so we believe that the more and more we turn our focus and our, and our gaze and our devotion upon Jesus Christ, the more and more God's light will shine forth in our lives. So we've been spending the, uh, the past several weeks in Matthew chapter 5 in the well-known Sermon on the Mount. We're there because Jesus is proclaiming his kingdom. And as we learn from him, and as his life fills our lives, uh, we believe that the, the light of God will, will fill our lives. Um, this past week, uh, Gene preached on what it means for Christians to be salt and light in the world. And he also affirmed what scripture affirms, that Jesus has done it all for us, that Jesus came to fulfill God's law, that Jesus came to live the righteous life that none of us could live and that we've all failed to live. But if we're going to be salt and light in the world, that has to look like something, right? There has to be concrete ways of being uh, that we put on to be that salt and light. That means that we have to live a certain way. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says that, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees if we're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now, this isn't an invitation for us to try to live up to God's righteous standard, right? We've all failed. In verse 17, Jesus says that he alone has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. But for those of us who put our trust in Jesus for our salvation, Jesus does genuinely want to work in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit to make our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. But how is that possible? The scribes and the Pharisees, after all, were experts in the law. They took excruciating measures to make sure that they followed all 613 commandments in the Torah, and you better bet they counted each and every last one of them. The answer is that Jesus wants to work in our lives to help us to fulfill the spirit of the law not just every jot and tittle of the letter of the law. Have you ever heard that distinction before? The spirit of the law versus the letter of the law? 
I'm the father of uh, the best two-year-old boy ever. I think every parent uh, thinks that. But this, uh, this spirit of the law versus the letter of the law issue comes up quite a bit, I've found. I've found that I've had to lay down the letter of the law in ways that I could never have imagined before becoming a parent. I have to tell uh, things to my son that you should never have to tell a normal human being. Like, buddy, you cannot eat paint. It's not good for you. <laughs> and yes, you need to wear pants if you're going to go out in public. That's like the bare level, minimum level of human decency. But in teaching him the letter of the law, we also want to encourage him in fulfilling the spirit of the law. It's not enough for him to just get that he shouldn't hit mama or daddy. The best parts of being a parent are when our son hugs or kisses us totally unsolicited and says, thank you, mama, or thank you, daddy. It's in these moments where we know that he really loves us when the spirit of the law that we're trying to teach him really has sunken into his heart and when his love comes forth. Well, in this gospel passage this morning that we've heard read, Jesus wants to move us from trying to follow the letter of the law to actually fulfilling the spirit of the law. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Matthew chapter 5. I think it's also printed in the back of your bulletin. And Jesus points to four aspects of our lives where he, wants us to, where he wants to work within us to fulfill all righteousness by helping us to live into the spirit of the law. So starting in verse 21, Jesus addresses anger. Verse 27, Jesus addresses lust. Verse 31, Jesus addresses divorce. And in verse 33, Jesus addresses speaking the truth. So... Let's jump in in verse 21. Jesus begins by addressing anger. And you'll notice he begins with the letter of the law by stating one of the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. Now, the letter of this law is not really difficult to fulfill in everyday life, right? I mean, I don't often find that I struggle with trying to kill people day in and day out, right? hope the same is true for you. But it doesn't get us too deep in terms of what it means to treat our neighbor, right? Again, it's like the bare minimum level of human decency that you shouldn't rob another person of their life. Jesus wants to take us deeper to the spirit of the law against murder, what it's really about. So in verse 22, Jesus says, If you're angry with a brother or sister, if you insult a brother or sister, if you call your brother or sister a fool, you will be liable to judgment and even hellfire. I mean, I had the do not murder thing down, okay, but I don't know about this, being angry or having a spat with a brother or sister, which makes me liable to hellfire, really? We all get angry if we're honest, right? Some of us struggle with this more than others, perhaps. And uh, anger isn't always bad. After all, God's anger is kindled against sin and evil, and Jesus was really angry when he drove out the moneylenders out of the temple. Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian in Manhattan, if you're familiar with his teaching ministry, uh, you'll know a little bit about him. If you're not, you should make yourself known to his teaching ministry. He's a wonderful teacher. He says that anger is actually a kind of love. It's kind of strange when you first think about it, but I think he's right. 
anger is a kind of love. He says that anger is love in motion in defense of something we love. Anger is love in motion in defense of something we love. So if our loved ones are threatened or attacked, we're rightly angry. But our love can be all kinds of disordered, right? We have inordinate loves. We can love the wrong things, like my pride, my money, my political opinions, whatever it might be. And this kind of anger, the kind of anger that rises out of our love for these things, this isn't motivated out of love for another person or the love of the good, the true, and the beautiful. This kind of anger is bent towards myself. And I think this is the kind of anger that Jesus has in mind here. Jesus mentions that this kind of anger is linked to murder because anger tears community apart. It makes my well-being more important than yours. So if Jesus wants to fulfill all righteousness and to fulfill the spirit of the law in us, how does Jesus help us to break free of anger? We all struggle with it in different ways, right? When we realize that God the Father's righteous anger burned against our sin, but Jesus came and reconciled us to the Father by laying down his life, when we accept that reconciliation and it goes deep in our hearts, we strive to be reconciled to others. So look at verse 24. If our anger is separating us from a brother or a sister or the other way around, we go, we seek them out to be reconciled. And notice, Jesus says to leave our worship and our sacrifice behind because our reconciliation with others is more pleasing to God. It is a more pure offering of worship to God. If we allow Jesus to work in our lives in this way, we will not only fulfill the spirit of the law, but we will be the salt and light in the world that Jesus wants us to be. The world is an angry place. I don't know if you've noticed that recently. May Jesus help us to be the reconcilers he wants us to be. Next, in verse 27, Jesus addresses lust. He begins again with the letter of the law in one of the Ten Commandments. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, like murder, it's easy to feel, feel like we've fulfilled the law here, right? But Jesus isn't going to let us off the hook. He wants us to go deeper to the spirit of the law. Verse 28, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The letter of the law, if you notice, prohibits certain actions, taking another person's spouse. And again, that's good. That's a good law. But Jesus wants to take us to the matter of the heart. And once again, we all fall short. It's best to just lay that out there. We all fall short in this regard. Some of us more than others again. But why is lust such a serious offense? Well, like anger, lust is destructive to not only yourself, but to others. A lustful person objectifies other people for their own pleasure. Lust is a cheap hollowed out mockery of what love really is. You see, love, true love, is outwardly, for, outwardly focused towards the needs of others. Lust, on the other hand, is an inwardly looking attempt to use others for our desires. C.S. Lewis, the Anglican writer, has a wonderful quote about God's love in the book The Four Loves. C.S. Lewis says, in God there is no hunger that needs to be filled. Only plenteousness or fullness. 
that desires to give. In God, there's no hunger that needs to be filled, only fullness that desires to give. God doesn't need our love to be satisfied. This is the beauty of the doctrine of the Trinity, right? God is an eternal, loving relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so God doesn't need us to be satisfied. And yet, the beauty of the Scriptures is that it tells us that God chose to create us, to pour out his love upon us, And Jesus shows us this most of all by giving up himself for our sake, even suffering a brutal death on the cross for our salvation. So how does Jesus work in our lives to help us fulfill the spirit of the law here? When we see that all that Jesus has done for us out of love, and when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us, God reorients our desires, and God helps us to see the needs of others and to love others selflessly. We see others as bearing the image of God and precious in his sight, instead of looking to others to satisfy our needs and desires, Jesus becomes all that we need. He fulfills all our desires, and he can help us to be salt and light by living for others instead of using them for our own desires. That leads us to verse 31, where Jesus addresses divorce. Now this time, Jesus doesn't mention the letter of the law in reference to the Ten Commandments. Jesus draws on the law from Deuteronomy 24, but he's also drawing on traditions of the Jewish law that were passed down through rabbis. The custom was generally that men could divorce their wives for whatever reason. Uh, They generally just had to get a certificate for divorce, and this certificate would permit the woman to remarry without fear of being labeled an adulteress which, as you know, came with the rather harsh penalty of death. So it was pretty important that she got that certificate, you might say. Only in very, very rare circumstances could a woman file for divorce. And even then, the man had to agree to the contract. Well, the letter of the law here was to make sure that women couldn't just be thrown aside. But there were all kinds of opinions trying to establish on what grounds was divorce permitted. So Jesus is fighting against this background, and he wants to move us towards the spirit of the law. The whole point about the law in Deuteronomy was to limit divorce, and to make it more difficult and less appealing. But the law eventually became a basis for deciding, under what circumstances can I get away with divorcing my wife? Jesus speaks against this by saying that there's only one possible condition, sexual infidelity. But notice, If we start going down the road of trying to figure out when we're allowed to divorce, that goes completely against what Jesus is trying to get at here. Jesus wants us to be faithful people. One of the most celebrated attributes of God in in the Psalms and in the Old Testament in general is the Hebrew word chesed. You heard of chesed before? It can be translated as loving faithfulness or covenant faithfulness. And God has perfectly shown us this loving faithfulness most clearly in coming in our own flesh, meeting us face to face in Jesus Christ, and being faithful to us even to the cross. And Jesus offered his Father loving faithfulness that we should have, but we could not return. For those of us who trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation, we have him living within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to cultivate that loving faithfulness in each of us. And this applies to our marriages as well. 
Uh, my wife, uh, Sonia, and I will be married for seven years this summer. That's not all that long compared to many of you, but it's long enough to know that marriage is tough at times. I mean, marriage is rich and joyful. It's an exciting adventure, too, don't get me wrong, but marriage takes hard work, doesn't it? None of us have what it takes to perfectly offer loving faithfulness to our spouses in our own strength, do we? But God offers us grace upon grace to be faithful to our spouses. And I want to say, if you've ever gone through the painful experience of divorce, I want you to know that Jesus offers grace upon grace here to you as well. And in his loving faithfulness, he can heal any pain. Christ Church, this is one area where Jesus really wants us to be salt and light in a world sorely lacking in covenant faithfulness. Don't think that your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your friends don't notice your loving faithfulness to your spouses. And for those of you who have been married 30, 40 years plus, thank you for your loving faithfulness. And I genuinely mean that. You are a constant testimony to the rest of us of God's loving faithfulness to us in Jesus. Finally, in verse 33, Jesus addresses speaking the truth. Again, Jesus is referencing the letter of the law in the Old Testament, and according to the traditions taught by the rabbis, the letter of the law, according to Jesus, said that we should not swear a false oath, and we should make good on the vows we make to the Lord. Again, that sounds like a pretty good law. But again, going to the spirit of the matter, Jesus forbids his followers to take oaths at all. That's a pretty hard line position to take. He says that we shouldn't swear by heaven or earth or Jerusalem or our own heads. You see, the rabbis were a little bit uncomfortable with swearing an oath on the Lord's name. So they went to the next level. They said, you should swear by heaven or by earth or your own head. Well, Jesus cuts in and he says, guess what? God already owns all those things. You don't even own your own head. Again, Jesus is fighting against our tendency to make some wiggle room, to try to get some wiggle room in there for not quite telling the truth all the time and not following through with our own promises. I've, I've, I've learned over time, especially in ministry, that it's much easier to tell the truth up front and to not give half-hearted commitments. It's much easier to do that and to back off later than to have to break a commitment later. Truth-telling and solid, trustworthy folks are hard to find. Broken oaths and untrustworthy people are also toxic and devastating to community. So how does Jesus want to work within us to make us trustworthy people? I would say there are a lot of ways that he can do that, but the first and foremost way is through prayer, through your prayer life. Look at the Psalms. They're full of prayers of people being 100% transparent and honest with God. They're full of prayers of joy, celebration, but also confession and lament. And as we learn to be honest with God through prayer, as we thank him, as we rejoice, as we celebrate, and then as we're honest with him about our frustrations, our anxieties, and as we confess our faults, our sins, we learn to tell the truth about ourselves, we learn to tell the truth to others, and we become more trustworthy people. If we can be honest with others, and people who are good for our word, we will be salt and light in a world that's bent against God's truth. 
Well, ultimately, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ, that he lived the faithful life that we could not live, that where we have used our anger to destroy, he has brought peace, that where we have used others for our own desires and lust, he has loved us by giving up himself for us, that where we have failed to be faithful, that he was faithful to his Father and to us, even to the cross, and that where we have failed to tell a truth and to be trustworthy people, he is God's perfect word, and we can trust him to the end. If you've put your trust in Jesus, I think about uh, that illustration I started with, with my son. Um, it's wonderful when we live into the letter of the law. God delights when we don't murder others, right? But it really pleases God when Jesus' life is so infused in our life that we go to the spirit of the law and that we please him in our love. Jesus wants to take us to that spirit of the law, to have a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. So Christ Church, may we all find joy and peace in following Jesus this epiphany season. And may Jesus' peace, love, faithfulness, and trustworthiness fill our lives so that we might be his salt and light in the world.